Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. There is a backstory weaved into each book. To explore the creative process, I am sitting down with authors, writers, editors, publishers, and an array of creative souls to have a conversation centered on how they develop their stories to completing their works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. Landis Wade is a recovering trial lawyer, the host of Charlotte Reader's podcast, speaker and author of Deadly Declarations, The Christmas Heist, The Legally Binding Christmas, and The Christmas Redemption. Welcome, Landis. It is good to spend time with you. Hey, Cindy, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the pen to paper press podcast. You are very welcome. And you know, it's obvious you are a very, very busy man. Because, you know, if I was to have listed off everything, I'd be talking for another five minutes. And you know, that's too long for an introduction. So Oh, go ahead. No, no, that, I said that's exactly right. My, some of my former law partners wonder, did you really retire? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm, I'm in that recovering phase. As you said, I'm the recovering trial lawyer and I just can't, can't break old habits. I'm, I'm putting in the hours. It's just a, a lot more fun than uh, having to fill out a timesheet. You know? Oh, there you yeah. go. Cause you know, there is a part of me that really wants to unpack that. Uh, what is a recovering trial lawyer, but, you know, truly where I'm curious and would love to direct um, the conversation initially is your experience with producing the literary podcast, you know, what inspired you to create and produce this podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. I was uh, I was practicing law uh, in my late 50s, trying to figure out what I was going to do in my 60s. Was I going to continue to come into the office and handle these cases and didn't want to be one of those lawyers that died at my desk. <laughs> and so I was thinking, I want to do something creative in my 60s. What can I do? Uh, you know, I've, I've written a couple of books. Uh, I kind of want to continue that, but I'm not you know, I need to get better at it. I want to study more. I want to learn more. And I thought, uh, how can I interact with authors more. And I said, uh, I kind of looked around this podcast thing was out there. And I, I noticed that there were podcasts around the country doing this deal where they interview authors. And I thought, well, hell, I, I know how to interview people. I've been a lawyer all my life. I've been to court. I've, I've done depositions. I, I can probably do that. Even though I knew nothing about podcasting, I'm like, uh, well, you know, let's, let's try this thing. And I thought, you know, we'll start small. I, Charlotte, uh, the Charlotte community, at least the metropolitan area, you know, a couple of million folks in and around Charlotte, a lot of writers in North Carolina. Um, there aren't, you know, newspapers have gone away from really reviewing books very often. And mm-hmm. uh, the same is true with radio. It's hard to get, you know, on a radio spot sometimes. And even when you do, it's not a very deep dive in those situations, right? It's uh, just uh, tell me about your book or, or a couple of questions. And the thought, maybe there's some, there's sort of a niche out there and there weren't that many people doing it nobody in Charlotte that I knew of and not many in North Carolina. And I thought, okay, well, you know, why not give it a shot? Because uh, it'll be something fun to learn. Um, 
challenging my technological brain, which wasn't very technological <laughs> when I started. Yeah, yeah, I used to have to raise my hand to IT to have them come help me change my password, you know, on my computer at work. So I, I was I was starting at a very low level. So anybody who's listening who doesn't think that they can do this thing would just use me as that example because you know there's a lot on YouTube. There's a lot of people. The podcast community, like the writing community, is very supportive and they'll answer your questions and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So I thought, you know, um, why not? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I, nobody will listen. It won't work, uh, but I'll meet some authors. And it kind of started small. Um, I started with a couple of folks in my writing group and then, you know, kind of branched out from there. And I found a couple of authors in the Charlotte community and then it started getting more regional. And then, you know, in three and a half years now, um, I've interviewed more than 300 authors and more than 28 states and three countries. And it just kind of uh, started, you know, snowballing there. Um, and you asked the question sort of why, uh, the why had to do with this curiosity about how authors do what they do. In part, what you, you do in this podcast, you know, you try to pick mm -hmm. people's brain, find out, you know, why they got into what they got into. And for me, it was, um, you know, we were coming, I was coming off of, being a, a trial lawyer, um, I needed something to keep me busy. I started in a co-working space that had a podcast studio, started meeting people, hanging out with creatives, which was kind of fun, you know, and interesting. Yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it just kind of, you know, it was, it was a project and uh, it's, it's continued to be a, a project, although it had to switch during the pandemic because of, uh, you know, the need to not be in a studio anymore and try to do this thing over the internet. But that taught me new skills as well, as it's taught authors new skills about how to communicate about their books and what they're doing, uh, you know, online. So mm -hmm. it's been an interesting uh, journey. I've, I've learned a lot along the way. I, um, I'm always trying to figure out how to, you know, make it better. And uh, now it's kind of figuring out, uh, well, how do I do this and also manage my writing? So, you know, it's, that's, that's a fun part too. Yes. And, you know, we learn through conversation more so than I, well, you're, <laughs> you're a lawyer. So part of your job <laughs> is, you know, to read and that's where yeah. you learn a lot of stuff, but it's, you know, through conversation that we learn more because we can pick up on the energies. We can, you know, the tones when, when it's written, you don't always hear the tone but mm -hmm. through conversation you you do you hear the sarcasm <laughs> more so <laughs> yeah. as i giggle a lot on that one <laughs> but um and i completely lost where i was going with that um but that's part of why i do the interviews is it's so easy for writers or anybody in any field to get caught in our head because as writers, what do we need? We need time alone to sit with our, our, you know, whatever we're writing on and be able to focus. And it's really hard to do that when you've got all these millions of distractions. By sharing the conversation, we're learning that, oh, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. Or the other aspect is, how in the world did you get through writer's exactly. or yeah. you know whatever and yeah exactly exactly because uh we did an episode one time on rejection because i was seeing a lot of 
you know, that come up a lot when people are, you know, submitting their manuscripts or they're getting feedback on their novels. And there's always going to be some haters out there and some, some people that aren't going to take a, a book that's uh, good for different reasons. And it, right. it sort of taught, it taught me a couple of things. It taught me that, you know, your book is not for everybody. And we have to remember that just because it's so uh, well written and well edited. Uh, it might be a genre that uh, somebody just doesn't care for. And that's fine. You know, that's okay. But, you know, this idea of uh, community um, really comes into play when we talk about, uh, you know, podcasting and writing and whatever. Uh, it's important because rejection is a thing. And as we talked about it on the podcast, people have different reactions to it. You know, some mm -hmm. people can't get over it. There's the inner critic. I mean, even now when I'm watching my new book, even though I'm doing a lot of good things, getting a lot of good feedback, it's like, yeah, but there's that little thing over there and you can't let it bother you. You know, you can't, you can't get distracted by that because not everything is going to work out. But I love this one comment somebody made to me on the, uh, on the rejection episode. One person had a goal to get 100 rejections on their uh, manuscript, but they fell short when somebody accepted it at 85 after the 84. <laughs> And so she didn't meet her goal, but she found a publisher, you know, and then, That's and great. then, yeah. and then there, then there was the one where uh, the, the very accomplished writer who'd been published in all kind of journals, you know, her, her, her piece just wasn't getting accepted. And every time it came back, she said, it is so nice to have you back home because now I can send you out to somebody that really cares about you. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. like that twist. Yeah. That's yeah. a great twist on, on that mindset because on, on the pen to paper press podcast, it seems that one of the conversations that really gets talked about a lot is the inner critic. And, you know, I had one guest, Elizabeth Kipp, who <laughs> we, we were talking about the inner critic and she's like, you know, I transformed my inner critic to have the voice of Joan Rivers. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I could see that, you know. That's a good idea to have, to have an avatar out there for your inner critic so you can laugh when they, when they poke fun at you. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, and you know, who else can you think of that's got, it's going to tell you the truth, tell you how it is, yeah. pull no punches and get straight to the point without any fluff and no stroking the ego. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, this is how it is. <laughs> Exactly. And that's why you need, uh, you know, a good editor that's not your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your oh, best yeah. friend, you know, somebody who's going to, who's got a professional touch, who can tell you like it is, because if they don't tell you like it is, it's not really worth having uh, that feedback, because that's, that's, that's where you need to, uh, you know, to, to carve the stone and make it better. It is. And I do editing. And so it's interesting to have to push. You need to explore this. You need to broaden this. Don't, don't just tell me. You got to make me feel it. I want to feel it. I, you know, I want to be sitting in the room with you while you're going through this, while you're thinking that, that yo-ho, you know, the boyfriend or the husband, mm -hmm. whoever, is an, an utter jerk the way you've got this written i'm like yeah okay he's a jerk <laughs> right <laughs> show me he's a jerk why why what did he do what are you feeling <laughs> right 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 and and expanding on that and somebody else could like you said the mother the father the sister 
the the best friend oh yeah 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 this is great and they don't have the courage to tell you the truth because they don't want to hurt your feelings plain and simple they don't want to hurt your feelings that is very true and you know you can't really have too many feelings as a writer when you're when you're writing you know other than the feeling that you need to to write more and and get it on the page because uh until you get it on the page there's nothing really to work with and my editor who, who really pushes me she tells me she's not uh supposed to make me feel comfortable and i said well you're doing a great job <laughs> good said, for her <laughs> because her, her mantra is add subtract reorder and clarify so she's always uh, pushing me to, you know, cut the cut the stuff that needs to go to add in place of it the things that might need to be there. Like you just mentioned, let's let's flesh this out. Maybe we can get some more sensory perception here. I don't I don't taste anything. I don't feel anything. You know, those kind of issues. Uh, what else is in the room? What's going on around these people as they're talking? Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't just continue the conversation. Let's see something else that's happening in the room. Make it a little more cinematic. Uh, and then. Uh, you know, move things around a little bit. Uh, you know, you need to start in the middle. You need to start where the action is. Let's get, you know, maybe at the beginning of scenes, there's a little, little backstory in a couple of paragraphs, cut those out, you know, um, let's start in that chapter, you know, where there's a little bit of action, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of something, you know, that pulls, pulls the reader in. Um, and then by all means, and I know this is a lawyer over the years, clarify, because, uh, you can't, uh, you know, I've bought into this idea that if uh, if the reader doesn't understand something that you've written, it's not the reader's fault, it's the writer's fault. And I don't know who said that, but I think it's uh, a good lesson because sometimes the writers that say, well, it's perfectly clear, but if somebody doesn't get it, it's not their fault, it's your fault. Right. And so for you, because you you have lawyers have to write things certain ways and you know you you're a trial lawyer so you're standing up in front of a judge and you got to say things in certain format and and direct and and so forth and and trying not to lead on the witness oh I had to throw <laughs> that in there <laughs> anyways so you're you're when you're writing out your script and your points that you need to make out you know, make a, a parent to everyone in, in the courtroom. You have to write it in such a way. So now flipping that over as a creative writer, now you have the freedom to expand however and wherever you want. Did you find that to be like uh, too many, like that option overload or was it like, woohoo, let's go? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, when you're writing the the first draft, just woohoo, let's go. It's it's you know, get it down on paper, um, and that is freeing. But uh, I will say that while lawyers can be you know well organized, um, that we can also go on too long sometimes. You know, whether we're arguing to the court or whether we're writing a so-called brief. And mm-hmm. yeah, if a lawyer is writing a brief and they're given a page limit of 20 pages, they're going to write 20 pages. If it's 30 pages, they're going to write 30 pages. So that's why the courts put limits on, you know, the briefs because they'd go on and on and on. And, and so that's one thing you have to learn. I think switching from the law to, to writing fiction is that, uh, yeah, while you've got sort of a good background, uh, you need to be thinking uh, about uh, a little bit more about brevity. And when I say brevity, I know look, novels are longer than briefs. Sure. Right. But each little compartment of that novel is not. It is a 
it's, it's, it needs to be a tight kind of part of the whole. And, you know, the, the lawyers that uh, get to the point in the various sections that they're presenting, I think have a better job of winning over their audience. And so lawyers also tend to talk in passive voice a lot, you know, uh, to, you know, may it please the court. Uh, I represent uh, so-and-so of the so-and-so, you know, instead of just, mm-hmm. you know, coming out and saying in an active voice. So l- lawyers fall into that trap. And, and as you know, given the fact that you do editing and you've done this podcast, active voices is very important when writing fiction because you want to move the story forward. You don't want to right. start from behind. So that, that was a little bit of a learning curve to me. Um, plus, you know, dialogue is new as a, fiction writer compared to uh, a lawyer because in the law you're just quoting from the deposition or you're having somebody repeat uh, something uh, on the witness stand but I tell you my it's helped me with writing the courtroom scenes to have been in the courtroom to have interviewed witnesses because I I can sort of remember the feel of it you know what how they talk how they sometimes interrupt how their sentence structure is not complete sentences but some may sometimes may be half sentences. And so that helps me in writing the dialogue in my lighthearted legal thrillers. I didn't even think about that, that dialogue is obviously it's excluded from your briefs as such. I mean, you're not, she said, he said, they did. Right. 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 <laughs> you're not, And you're not writing how well that cinnamon sweet roll really smells and how it right. reminds you of grandma's kitchen. You know? You're not adding that in there. So then writing di- dialogue, was that something that was like, you had to stop and think about, okay, how do people actually talk and, and then put that into you know book format because it's a little different we try to write how people talk but when you get writing too many that's because naturally we say that a lot or um or we have the long ands and the so's I am horrible you know when I'm editing I'm taking out that last little phrase I just said you know and the ums and the long drawn out ands and the so because I do that so often. Well, we don't speak that way. I mean, we speak that way, but when we're writing a book and writing that dialogue, we're not adding that in there because what are you going to do? You're going to annoy your reader. And so shifting from non-dialogue to dialogue must have been an interesting journey. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it is. Everything's a learning uh, journey. And you know, a lot of times when the dialogue's been quoted in, in court is coming from a previous statement. And as you said, sometimes those statements, uh, sometimes they're well-crafted. They come in the form of an affidavit that, you know, the lawyer wrote, not the client or the witness. Uh, but when you get the raw testimony, you know, that comes out in court um, or when somebody's cross-examining somebody, that feels more real. And that's the kind of language I want to transfer to the page in, in my books. And I think one way to and I've gotten this tip from several writers who've been on the show, uh, New York Times bestselling authors, you know, they read um, their manuscripts out loud to see if they sound right to the ear. And if they don't sound right to the ear, they go back and work on the dialogue. Right, right. So let's talk about your books. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You have one that's just coming out. And how 
when it comes to writing your books, are they something that just kind of pour out of you? Or is it a process of, you know, oh, that took me three years, that one took me two years, that one took me 20 years? <laughs> are you one of those really, you know, just sit down, pour it out? Or are you a dabbler with it? You know, it, it's evolved from the first book to this fourth book, um, in part because I took on this thing called podcasting. And as you know, <laughs> there's there's some time commitment that's involved in that. So um, it was, I, I joke with people, you know, when I was practicing law, I was able to get out a book a year. But when I started podcasting, it took me three years to get this book out. <laughs> and, and and they don't understand why, because I don't have, you know, but I only had two things to focus on then, which was, you know, my day job and then writing at night, whereas now I'm dealing with a lot of different people. I'm going to conferences. I'm participating in short form writing and long form writing, and I'm writing a book. And so I, I think that my process and probably for most authors, it, it evolves over time a little bit. You know, I mean, I was listening recently to, to an author, bestselling author, talk about how she didn't outline her first novel uh, that was, you know, did really well because she didn't have a time limit. She could take years to write mm -hmm. it, but she decided with her next books when she was under contract for to get it done in a year she she needed to think about outlining a little bit so she got got into the outlining process i um i didn't outline my first three books i just wrote them for fun and let them flow and uh this fourth book um as i was writing it initially i didn't have the through line for the story because i, I had it said it was a mystery it was set in a retirement community i wanted that i wanted the humor of the retirement community the amateur sluice uh there's going to be an old, there's an old law. There's a lawyer in there who doesn't want to be there. He's gotten kicked out of his big law firm. He thinks his life is over having to be in a retirement community, lost his wife and he don't want to be there. So you got the reluctant hero and then you got these other retirees. And the whole thing is, is there really life after a career? And is anything happen in a retirement community other than trying to figure out when your next meal is coming and that kind of thing. So, you know, I wanted to explore that theme, but I didn't have the through line for the story until I, and this is where the podcast comes in. I interviewed an author who'd written a nonfiction book uh, about a historical event in history in my hometown here, Charlotte, North Carolina, that I really hadn't thought much about or known much about. And it set me on this uh, journey of uh, first I asked him, I said, hey, are you going to write the novel? Because this is a perfect for a novel. He goes, no, you write it. And I said, OK, I'm going to write it. If, as long as you give me some feedback on it, make sure I don't uh, mess up the history too much, which he was, he was, <laughs> yeah. he was good about. But that so you know, it took me three years because I was kind of searching for what was going to get me passionate. Once I found what was going to get me passionate, this historical mystery, then I was able to write in spurts more so. And I didn't have the excuse that I was trying to use that, oh, I don't have enough time because of the podcast and that kind of thing. So I kind of took three weeks off from podcasting and went off and wrote uh, about 60,000 words to the 20,000 I'd been messing around with for year or so and then came home and wrote another 30,000 words and then I had this thing I could look at and say okay now I got something to work with mm -hmm. so for you is the writing that first draft like the easiest part or is it more when you're digging into the editing and 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 pulling things apart and, and reorganizing. I mean, is that a fun process for you? <laughs> have, have any of your writers ever said writing is easy? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, some yeah. have said that the easiest part is, is that first draft because there's okay. that flow. Right. What, right, they, right, what right. they really dislike is the promoting of self yeah, yeah, and promoting that, their book. 
because right. you know they they and it's easy to do i mean i do it as mm-hmm. as well as that book is a part of me i'm it, it's like an appendage it's it's like my third arm or something and which is you know not true our books are well our products are supposed to stand on their own but yet sure. we grab them so it's it's the promoting and the marketing that a lot of kickback comes you know from um the editing yeah you know it's like some like it some some really didn't like it um because it was and and probably a lot of that comes wow the wind really just picked up (laughs) (laughs) um anyways a lot of that comes through with that whole inner critic that that mm-hmm. reminds them, yeah, you suck as a writer. Look at that sloppy stuff you put. Why did you write that? And yeah. so the editing tends to be a trigger point. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, I don't, I don't find writing to be easy. But I find it to be a challenge, right? I find mm-hmm. it to be an exciting challenge. Uh, during the first draft, uh, since I write mysteries, I'm thinking. Um, not only about the characters, but I'm thinking a lot about the plot because I don't want to go down such a tangent or rabbit hole that when I get there, I go, well, this ain't going to work. <laughs> you know, that ain't going to work in the plot. So I have to think a little bit through that process, you know, to get it uh, down when I'm writing the mystery, even if I don't outline it. And so I, I find writing to be a challenge. I don't find it. And, and I've heard authors say, and I tend to agree that, you know, all good writing is rewriting um, because mm-hmm. uh, it's where you polish uh, what you've been working on. And the more you rewrite it, the better it's going to get. Um, I, and I, I do understand what you're saying about authors who are reluctant to, you know, so-called promote themselves. And we talk a lot about that on our podcast too, but as you said, and I agree, um, you know, look, this is a part of you, you've worked hard on it. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's worth spending the time that you spent on it, then, you know, get up behind your desk and go out there and tell people about it. Be proud of it. And uh, don't worry so much about how many books uh, people buy. Uh, the ones that do buy it, uh, the ones that do read it, uh, be grateful for them. And, uh, you know, don't shy away from challenging, I mean, from trying new things that could be challenging, The you know, whether it be social media, whether it be some kind of promotion with one of the book promoters, whether it be something creative. I mean, I've had fun as a podcaster. I've, I've done something that I'm going to release in May where for my audio book, the, uh, the narrator, uh, I thought did a great job with the characters. And so I had this idea of writing a script uh, for a 30 minute interview of three of my characters where I called them on the telephone. And so I called three of my characters and he played the role of the characters and he had a fun time. I mean, we had fun doing that. It was something a little bit different. It'll help promote the book. But, you know, when I called the antagonist in the book, he started getting all over me about the things that I had accused him of in the book. And he started asking me questions about why I thought, <laughs> why, why do you, don't you understand that just because, you know, law is, I mean, we have to make money in the practice of law. The, the, the particular evildoer I'm talking about, he's the managing partner of this big <laughs> law firm. This caused a lot of problems for the protagonist. He says, it's not evil to run a law firm like a business. Why do you think that Mr. Wade, who 
can't obviously continue to practice law because you can't really do it anyway. You know, so he's giving me a hard time <laughs> as the character. So I thought that was a little, a little fun thing, a little separate thing to do that was part. And, you know, you can do it in different ways. You can do a scripted interview, put it up on your uh, blog. If you're not an audio person or you can do a, a video YouTube or something, uh, but that, you know, do things that are creative, do things that are different and also find a, a, a some theme of your book. Um, my book uh, relates to the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, which you may talk about. So my my launch event uh, is going to be at a brewery that happens to be uh, named Old Mecklenburg Brewery, which uh, has a beer called Captain Jack Beer. And Captain Jack's actually in my novel. So I thought, what better place to have a launch than where they sell the Captain Jack Beer, which has the fresh taste of freedom and every delicious swig. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so do do things that are that. fun. Do things that are fun. Do things that uh, are you know are inter interesting to you. Don't don't uh, just get uh, and don't try to compare yourself to other authors because everybody is at a different part in their journey. Um, I asked Steve Barry on the podcast. He's a New York Times bestselling author. You know, he's he's got thrillers that have been released and you know, I don't have any countries, 30 million copies. And I said, so you were an overnight success. And he said, yeah, but it took 10 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So people, you know, it takes time to become an overnight success. And if that's your goal, if your goal is to be very successful and sell lots of books, it could take 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, uh, so don't, uh, you know, don't be in a hurry. Don't compare yourself to other people. Uh, if you're doing this thing called writing and you're and you've actually gotten through this process of writing a novel. That's a huge accomplishment mm -hmm. in and of itself. And uh, so be proud of that and be proud to share that uh, with other people. Uh, very much agreed. I like that because when we're writing, we're not writing it necessarily for self. And in many cases, when we are writing it, it we're working through our own stuff. You know, it, it are parts of our past or parts of somebody else's past that we're close with shows up in the pages. Obviously, the names and the situations have been changed to protect the innocent or guilty. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, you know, so we're, we're working through things or, or we're adding that, you know, justification or, or whatever. But we do that to share it with somebody else. It's not really um, a rag sheet where we're just filling out our, you know, our, emo it's not a journal, you know, mm -hmm. where we write down, you know, you know, whatever's bugging us or the grocery list. So, All right. Yeah. Authors want to be read. I mean, um, yes. you, you write uh, to be read and it's you know, part of what you do. And um, of course, there's a, a certain gratification that comes with, you know, putting words on a page that actually fit together nicely. And at the end you think, ah, you know, that wasn't bad. That, 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 that was pretty good. You know, um, like so, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why not? Uh, and then, but you're right. It's, it's, you, you want to be read and getting the books out there is a way to do it and talking about them. And, you know, frankly, I'm not sure, I mean, authors, we, we do operate in a cocoon when it comes to writing sometimes, mm -hmm. but then there are writing groups uh, that are supportive of each other. Um, mm -hmm. There are writing organizations in every community, whether it be writer clubs. Uh, we have uh, a number of those in North Carolina. 
that uh, I'm a member of, and it's a great way to network and to talk with other writers. And I think, you know, to become, uh, to be able to write a novel, I sort of feel like you got to connect with the community. You've got to study, you know, the craft and you've got to be committed to the end product because mm-hmm. only you are going to be the ones to get it there, you know? Right. Um, but there, you can have a supportive community along the way. I don't think any novel ever gets written without the support of someone other than the person writing the book. They, you know, if, if they, I'd, I'd cross-examine them pretty heartily if they said otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll change. No, I'm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, because it, you talked about editing. I mean, you're, when you're helping other writers with, you know, edit their work, you're 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 supporting them. You're making their work better, even if you're being compensated for it. It it doesn't get done without other people putting their eyes on it, giving you feedback, or just encouraging you, you know, when that inner crick has, has given you uh, a difficult time, um, keep putting that, uh, one foot in front of the other or that one finger on the keyboard. Yes. Yeah. Let those fingers do the tap dance across the keyboard. Mm. So then for you, obviously you're coming up with creative ways for promoting your books. What is what is something that you did with your first book that really worked and you're like, you know what, I'm doing that for the other books that I publish as far mm-hmm. as like promotion or, or are they each very unique and they just kind of have their own life? No. My, so my first uh, three books uh, were, were kind of, uh, well, they were fun. They, they are because I was still in the throes of practicing law. So I was looking for this sort of creative release. So I wrote these, I, I did this what if, and I, it was like, what if a lawyer um, was faced with having to represent someone who believed in Santa Claus? And and what if that person was actually right? And so <laughs> the, the first, the three books I wrote, which is part of the Christmas courtroom trilogy, is a story of a young solo practitioner lawyer who's faced with that dilemma. Um, and if he doesn't win the cases that uh, he's assigned to in each of those books with these characters who believe in Santa Claus, Christmas won't come and hundreds of thousands of children will be disappointed. So we put, we put Christmas on trial in the courtroom, have a fun time doing it. It's kind of a, one, one reviewer called it a cross between my cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street. So you get the vibe, <laughs> the, the, the vibe of that a little bit. So, I so, love it. That's so, great. So, so, so I wanted to bring the humor and the levity of the courtroom, but it also has sort of an underlying theme of, you know, not being able to, you have to believe in the things you can't, you know, touch, feel, see. And so he had to suspend belief and kind of go with it and try to prove this, that, and the other. And so with those books, uh, I had fun because I went to Christmas bazaars and I took the story to, to different places where people enjoyed the Christmas season. And I had this marketing idea that, look, Christmas is going to come every year. So my book might not be on the shelf year round, but they're going to bring it out (laughs) in November, (laughs) in November, December, or maybe I'll sell some then. So that was the fun part of the first, you know, just getting it out there and going to these different events where people went, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll read that. The other thing I did was um, when I started thinking more about promotion, we did some um, ebook promotions related to the 
books to where I put the first book in the series free. The Christmas Heist, which is the first book, is actually free online. You can go get it. Uh, and the idea being that, uh, you know, if you like it, you might buy the next one and the one after that. And so, you know, as a result of that, it's garnered, you know, more than four or 500 reviews on Amazon. So that that kind of worked to get people reading the book and commenting on the book. And it was a good way to kind of get the, the book out there. And so, you know, after I saved Christmas three times, I thought ah, I need to do something different. <laughs> and and uh, so that's when I came up with this idea of uh, blending a modern day mystery with a historical mystery and what's uh, what's my new book, which is Deadly Declarations. And um, as I said earlier, the idea, the full idea didn't come to me until I interviewed a guest on my podcast. But I but I found this mystery um, and a few people may know the story. But as the story goes, in May of 1775, one year before the Declaration of Independence, um, a small group of uh, men in Charlotte, North Carolina, this place George Washington called a trifling place, uh, didn't have but about a 700, 800 people living in the backcountry at that time. They got word that day in May um, of what had happened. It took about a month for the news to get down here to the backcountry in North Carolina from, from Massachusetts of, of the British firing on the colonists at Lexington and Concord. And of course, the shot heard around the world. And they were incensed. They were backcountry Presbyterians. They didn't like the, the British anyway. There are a lot of Scots-Irish that have moved to this area. So they declared independence from the greatest nation in the world and read that Declaration of Independence from the courthouse steps and got a tavern owner named Captain Jack to ride that 500 miles to Philadelphia to deliver it. And at that point, the story goes cold because the delegates he delivered it to, although there's, there is historical evidence that he made this trip that he was okay. carrying this thing of independence with him. But then the delegates didn't write about it. They didn't talk about it. Uh, and yet um, it became this uh, controversy in history because uh, when some in information came out in the early 1800s about it, John Adams saw it and thought, as he described it, the greatest curiosity and deepest mystery that ever occurred to me. And Thomas Jefferson called it spurious in an apocryphal gospel. And then once John Adams accused Thomas Jefferson of plagiarizing, from the Mech deck, well, then things got serious. And so that's a thing in history that few people know about, even in Charlotte. And I thought that would be fun to put in a novel. And I wonder if through fiction, I could solve this mystery once and for all. So that's what I did. That's interesting. Yeah. I, you're right. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. you're going to, with this book, you're going to bring a lot of Hmm. Right. is that true what <laughs> happened to that you're going to bring forth a lot of those inquisitive questions of did i really know this or <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, exactly it's like i say when i read historical fiction i always want to go and uh now it's google it used to be the encyclopedia look it up to find out what's true and what's not in the story and i hope people are doing that people and, and some of the advanced readers are telling me you know, about halfway through Atlantis, I'm Googling this to find out how much is real, real how much is not. And, and, and that was kind of my goal. And I was, I was really gratified that book life reviews when they did it. So they couldn't tell where uh, history ended in fact began, which was kind of my goal to kind of blend, you know, the truth about the story as far as I could before I jumped off, you know, with right. my imag imagination. And uh, I do have an afterward in the book that explains, you know, what facts in the book are true and which ones 
or imaginative, which I find uh, people also appreciated uh, as part of that. But it, it was it was fun. And, and I thought, given my background as a trial lawyer, uh, why not weave into this plot line uh, a, a, a trial scene where we put the mech deck on trial? And because what better place than to get to the truth, right, than to put it in front of a jury. So, you know, we've, we kind of put the mech deck on trial in the Mecklenburg County Courthouse. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was fun to do. And uh, Craig Travail, a lawyer, was reluctant to do it because he thought his career was over as a trial lawyer. And these other these two other retirement community residents who he meets are one is he's kind of a 75 year old conspiracy theorist, but just optimistic to a fault shoots trout in a pond with his rifle. So he's kind of out there. And then Harriet Keaton is the female protagonist. Uh, she kind of keeps the men in line and she kind of keeps them moving forward, former businesswoman. But those three, um, you know, two men, one woman uh, try to not only, solve the mystery uh, of the mech deck, but uh, try to uh, solve the mystery of the man whose body was found and whose manuscript on the mech deck was missing when they found his body. Interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, you know, that's a really great lead in because now everybody's going to be like, well, who did it? What was that's missing? Right. <laughs> I want to know right. more. <laughs> yeah. And why, why do, and why do people want to keep the secret of the neck deck and who's keeping that secret and why, you know? Hey, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, for somebody who's not picking up on this, this is a great example of promoting your book and getting people curious to want to purchase the book. So thank you for sharing that. And of course, that was one of those aha moments. So <laughs> yeah, yeah no, th thank you for let, letting me do that. It was just it's really uh, an honor to be here to be able to talk about it. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I'm truly enjoying this conversation. And I find it interesting to talk to other uh, individuals who do podcasts. I don't consider myself to be quote unquote a pro at it or anything like that you know I yes I have a microphone but the problem is, is right now I'm staying with someone but I live I have a 22 foot camper that I live in and when I used you know the microphone all the noise outside my camper including the lawnmower the dog next door barking the kids playing out there was all picked up and so I, I use the, you know, the headphone set from my computer <laughs> and it, and it works great. And there are times that, you know, I feel that I'm not asking the right questions or I'm stammering too much. And so what's really interesting is listening to another podcaster talk and realize that, oh, hey, I'm, I'm doing this, they're doing the same thing I am, we're all winging it. <laughs> and it's really interesting, because we share what, what it's like to be on, you know, this side of the microphone. And so with you having interviewed a lot of the writers and and authors and best-selling and non-best-selling because I'm assuming you're talking to writers at any level um, 
that have been published and, and so forth because you know just because they haven't made the best-selling list doesn't mean that they don't have a good book um for whatever reason it just didn't happen for them you know whether they didn't pursue it or or what i'm wondering um so what are some of the things that those authors and those writers have shared with you that really kind of oh i need to take note of that yeah, that's that's a great question um and you know you're you're right um i think when you're running a podcast a literary podcast and you're interviewing authors you know we we as the podcast host uh, have to remember that this is direct examination to use a legal term and not cross-examination and the difference is <laughs> that in that in direct examination the lawyer is supposed to get out of the way and let the witness uh talk and in cross-examination the lawyer is trying to keep the witness from talking <laughs> except, to answer, <laughs> except to answer their specific question with a yes or no answer and, and you know as well as i do when you get someone on who says uh, yes to your answer and no to your answer you're in for a long or maybe probably a, a short, short. <laughs> inter interview yeah but uh <laughs> to answer your question um I ask uh, questions uh, on the podcast about the books, of course, and about their what ifs and their inspiration for them. And I try to pick out some scenes and that kind of thing. But we also talk about their writing life and how they got started sometimes. And and I'll ask them a question like, uh, if you could tell your younger writing self, you know, that that writer who was just getting started, something of value, uh, had you known it uh, would have made a difference in that younger writer's path as a writer. and and they kind of all pause and think back. And uh, even you're right, I interview authors that are first time novelists uh, with indie authors, small press authors, uh, all the way up to New York Times bestsellers. And I like to do that because people are on different journeys, uh, they bring different things, but the stories mm -hmm. are always very interesting. But all across the board there, when they're answering that question, um, you, you get answers like, um, you know, just tell yourself it's going to be okay you know, don't be in too much of a hurry, uh, you know, write for writing's sake, it'll, it'll, it'll work out, you know, um, don't feel like it has to be perfect, you know, nothing's ever perfect. So you get those kind of answers, which I find, you know, recognize the rejection is part of the game. When you hear that from New York Times bestselling authors that they're talking about rejection too, it kind of makes the rest of us feel <laughs> okay with what we're doing. But then mm -hmm. I narrow in sometimes on writing craft. And I, I had John Hart on for my 100th, no, my 200th episode uh, as honorary guest. And we talked about plot versus character. And he was insistent that uh, it's character that matters most. And I found that when I'm reading novels as well, I like a plot, I like a, a good plot, but I want to care about what happens to the character. And if you don't care about the character, as he says, why should you care about the plot? Um, and so as he talks about it, it could, uh, you know, you can get away with an average plot with really strong character development, but with that good character development, the best plot in the world isn't going to carry your book. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I also found, uh, I already mentioned Steve Barry's comment about being an overnight success, but, uh, I've, I've heard other things from authors about, um, you know, depending on the genre they're writing, whether it's mystery mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, thrillers or literary fiction, uh, don't try to write to the market. Uh, you'll never catch up with the market. You know, so no. when you think something's hot, 
Um, don't try to write to that, you know, come up with a good idea. And uh, when I synthesize all this kind of information I get from people, uh, you know, of course, there's structure, there's, you know, don't start in the middle, all these kind of things they talk about. But um, when I when I synthesize it all, it's for me, it's about finding something that you can get passionate about and get excited about. Because without that passion and excitement, it's going to be hard to motivate yourself to keep writing. Yes. Yeah, the passion's got to be there. And the flow will happen. Mm. Yeah. When we when we mentally get out of our own way and just when we give ourselves the freedom and and oftentimes we get so bogged down with the whole I got to do, I got to do, I got to do it. So what does that do that, you know, brings in that tension even more and more and and nothing moves when everything's bound up. I mean, hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and find what works for you because uh, when I've talked to authors about their structure and their habits, they're all different. Uh, so if, if you mm -hmm. read a book or something, or you read something online that says, this is how you must do it. You must get up every morning at 4am and write 500 words, you know, ignore that advice, unless you like that advice and then, you know, adopt that advice, but it's, it's, there's no one way to get to the end in terms of writing a novel you need to find the best way that works for you you know somebody says right. well i'm an outliner somebody says well i'm a pantser i think i'm more of a pants liner i mean <laughs> i think i yeah. you know I, I do a little bit of both as i go along and i don't always write at the same time and i sometimes write in spurts and some people would say well you can't do that you need to get up every morning do this mm -hmm. other people say uh, some people say well i get rid of the business in the morning and i do the creative work in the afternoon after I've cleared all that off my plate. Other people say I like to get up in the you know, the when the liminal is still there, I'm still kind of in that dream state and write. I feel I'm most creative there and I do my business in the afternoon, which is fine. You know, whatever works for a particular author. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing and talking oh, yeah. to authors. Everybody has a different approach. And um, so, you know, adopt the approach that that works best for you. And as I say, be willing to try new things it's all part of my mantra for my third act here which is uh you know try something new and if it doesn't work uh so what try something else well and that is something that i try to get across is there is no right way there is no wrong way even if you're not writing that's not the wrong way because mm -hmm. it is what it is in the moment and it's where you're at in the moment and give yourself that that peace that it's okay. You know, the, the passion will come back, life happens, life gets in the way. And truly follow your heart on it. Because if you don't follow your heart on it, on, on whatever project you're working on, uh, whether it's writing or painting, or even just simply going to work, if your heart's not in it, it shows up on the page, it shows up mm -hmm. in the project. And so following your heart, you're in resonance with it you're in alignment with it and you're you know naturally you're wanting to bring forth the best and and share that and if mm -hmm. you're not in that headspace or in that heart space i should word it that way actually because <laughs> there is a big difference between thinking and feeling um 
that if you're if you're not in that heart space and you're pushing you've got a resistance block well why do you have that resistance block what's holding you back is it a self-belief is it something you know your mom told you when you were five years old is it something that some you know little joey said on the playground when you're eight years old that you know you suck you know whatever whatever that is you know, being willing to look at what the block is to get through it and, you know, talk it out with somebody if you need to. And if you're a private person and talking it out is like, you know, you'd rather have, you know, nails go down a chalkboard, then don't, don't talk to somebody, but write it out, get it out of your head somehow. If you don't want anybody to see it, you know, when I was 16 years old, I, I was in a really bad space and a friend of my mother's was like, after trying to get me to talk for a very long time, and he was actually late for surgery because of me. Um, and I didn't know that till later. Um, you know, he eventually slid a pad of paper at me, tossed a pen and said, write it out. You don't want anybody to see it, burn it, do it safely, but you know, go out in the driveway and burn it. And he threw a pack of matches at me. So, you know, getting it out, whatever is the resistance is important as letting that creativity flow and getting the words out that way too. So almost feels like we're in a yoga uh, practice. Just breathe, you know. <laughs> yes, just breathe. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yoga for writers, you know. There's some oming and breathing and, uh, and then just get it out of your system and then just go back to the page, right? Right. And I have absolutely no idea why I shared that, mm. but, you know, it just the, well, in the moment it had to come out, I guess. It, it, it's good advice because you should get up and do other things. I have to remind myself to get up after so many minutes in front of the computer i'm not always successful mm -hmm. but go walk go exercise go do something uh it'll help your brain function it'll help you get back into the flow of things and i heard an interesting technique by some writers i don't follow it i should, probably should but they say they they stop writing when they get to a part that's really engaging you know and uh for me i'm starting to flow then i want to keep going but then i said well, why do you do that say because then I have something to look forward to the next day when I come back to the project, I can pick up at a exciting part of the story. So I thought, well, that's very interesting. You know, it is interesting. And I've, I've, I have tried that. The problem was where I thought, you know, where I left it, this is the action that I, I foresaw it taking. But then when I went back to it the next day, I took it in a different direction and it was like, Oh, it, you know, and then you pause afterwards. It's like, okay, did I go in the right direction? <laughs> you know? So for me, I just, if I'm in, if I'm in the flow, I'm, I'm getting it on the page because I don't want to lose that channel because if I lose that channel, um, you know, that connection, then odds are it's not coming back. I won't connect back with it. So I just, I keep going, but again, for that person who can stop there, you know, have at it, please do that, do whatever it takes to make it work for you and what feels good to you. Right. Find, find what works. That's the important thing. Find what works for you. Find your own form of discipline and, uh, you know, stick with that. And if that means you're writing every other day, fine. If you're writing in spurts, fine. If you get up every morning or do it in the afternoon, that's, that's great too. But, uh, you know, what works for you? Cause everybody comes at, 
it, with different life circumstances. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. They have full-time jobs or part-time jobs. They're taking care of children or they're not taking care of children. They're taking care of parents or, or, you know, they got all the time in the world, don't know how to organize themselves. So, so, you know, uh, find what works for you and don't beat yourself up about, uh, what you're doing, but, uh, find a good space too, that you like to write in and sometimes mix it up. If that works for you, you know, go to a coffee shop or a co-working space or something, or stay late at your office. If it feels good to you to do it that way. And you can right. have some quiet, quiet time, but uh, yeah, f- yeah, I think it really is. I mean, it's um, it is a solitude uh, endeavor to write, uh, the, put the words on the page. But um, so you need to find the space and the time that works for you. Agreed. Alrighty. Well, you know, <laughs> we have been talking for a long time, and I've lost track of time actually, <laughs> which is a good thing. I mean, truly, when I'm not sitting there going, oh, "Can I at least push this conversation thirty minutes?" No, yeah. actually, I think I've had that once, <laughs> yeah. and and we it was interesting because you know you mentioned earlier about the um, the podcast guest who's the yes no response and and i i know that that's out of fear of saying the wrong thing or feeling like they're gonna say something that makes them look um unprofessional or not how they want to present themselves and with some there's this hurdle that as soon as they feel comfortable i know that i'm not you know doing that interrogation because i i try to tell everybody that this is a conversation between two writers, two people who love the act of writing and and so forth. They still don't know me. So they're withdrawn, they're held back. But as soon as they get comfortable with me, it's like, then time goes away. (laughs) And and you're exactly right. I think the sometimes when people give the short answers, there there's nervousness there, they may not have ever appeared on the podcast, or um, as you say, they don't know that we have the ability to edit out the spaces or the or the gaffes or whatever um and so i had that happen one time and we were into it for a couple minutes and i i said hold on i I just need to stop the recording a second and i stopped the recording and i i said um let's go at this a little different i'm going to ask you a few questions about uh you know your past and kind of what you do and i asked some questions and i said just just loosen up we're gonna have fun i've got editing software and i started with some very easy questions you know about uh you know, how, where they grew up and what they like to do and that kind of thing. And then, then they just started talking. Once they started talking, uh, the dam was broken and they were very comfortable and they were able to answer all these questions about their book and their writing life and that kind of thing. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is awkward. So I try, I, I just try to tell people, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll fix it. That's why we have editing software. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I have no problems telling people I edit out you know right, right, the right. cough or the right. dog barking in the background or yeah. you know the sneeze i had one gentleman who bless his soul he had a cold and or he was just getting over a cold so there were periods where he couldn't mute himself fast enough and start coughing and, I, and i'm like don't worry about it he's like i'm right. so sorry and i'm like no 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 don't don't i i, I edit out my aunts uns and you know I, you have no idea how many you knows <laughs> that I cut out because yeah. I'm a you knower. <laughs> that's, that's great. So yes, I I don't ever want anybody to feel like they if they say too many ums. Yeah, I take a few of those out because 
I, I don't want anybody to go, oh, that was so horrible. I don't want anybody to hear that. I want them to be like, hey, I was on this podcast. Listen to how great I sound. It's not how I sounded in the podcast because I know I said um too many times. And, you know, I want them to feel good about it because if they feel good about it then they're going to share it <laughs> yeah and, and you've got a very relaxed way uh, about you which is great for a podcast uh host to, to you know I, I love the the fact that you like to laugh i love the fact that you like to you know talk and poke fun at yourself too and you know that, that there's a certain humanizing element to that for for the guest and it allows them to get comfortable too and and maybe poke fun at themselves as well, you know, like the recovering trial lawyer, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, when I first read that the first time I read, it, I'm like, recovering, what is he recovering from? And then, you know, of course, the imagination goes in 20 different directions. And it's exactly. like, hmm, is this an addiction? <laughs> exactly. exactly. We, we, I talk about it in the book, I said, you know, there's a thing about lawyers, it's, uh, we don't know when to get out of the profession. The, the older we get and the more awards we get, we think we know more than we do. And uh, I, I use this little line in the, in the, in the latest novel about, the, you know, if they get beyond 65 and they're still practicing law, it's kind of like, you know, the Hotel California song, they can check out, but they can never leave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so, you know, because we don't know what to do with ourselves, except we've done all our lives. So I'm recovering a little bit from that uh, mentality. And, and it's part of that recovery. I'm trying to experience, uh, you know, creative endeavors that uh, I might be a little hesitant to try, but I want to give it a shot and see what happens. That's awesome. So where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, they can find uh, me at LandisWade.com, uh, L-A-N-D-I-S-W-A-D-E.com. Also, it's CharlotteReadersPodcast.com, and uh, just Google Landis Wade, and you'll find probably a bunch of podcast episodes and some information about my books. That's that's wonderful. That is the intent when we Google ourselves or right. Google someone. <laughs> we hope to find them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And preferably not weird images. Well, so. yeah, you might find old, old court, <laughs> old court cases too that went up to, to different places too. But hopefully, uh, they'll be further down the list now than <laughs> the podcasting and the writing. Yeah. Oh well, thank you. I am so grateful for your time. This has truly been, you know, uh, a great experience, a great conversation. Um, it's always good. I feel really good at the end of the podcast if I've clicked away from because when I when I before the podcast I write out a few questions in case the guest that's not comfortable and what do I say I've got a few questions that I can ask them and truly the only question that I've asked you that was on my list was that very first one where I mentioned you know so I don't I'd like to go down the rabbit hole of what is a recovery <laughs> trial lawyer, but I want to talk about podcasting. And, you know, I flimsily went off this off the script that I had written for that question. You know, after five minutes, I clicked away from those questions. And these are the best kinds of conversations when it just flows. So thank you. Yeah. I well, thank you. It. No, it's, it's the mark of a good interviewer when you you start with a question and then you don't have to look back at your outline again. Uh, you made it very conversational. It was very comfortable to be here. And I, as I said earlier, I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, thank you.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this educational and entertaining conversation with recovering lawyer and author Landis Wade. To learn more about Landis's books and his podcast, you will find links to access his websites at pendapaperpress.com backslash podcast and of course select the show notes page for this episode. When you rate and follow the Pen to Paper Press podcast on your favorite app, and of course leave a comment on the show notes page, you help to increase the rankings of this podcast. Your support is so greatly appreciated. I can't thank you enough. If you prefer to receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the Pen to Paper Press newsletter and follow the Pen to Paper Press podcast on social media. That way you'll get the newest episode. Take care. And until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Stay curious and know that your words have power and your story matters. Bye for now.